the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti. Happy December 19th. Happy Christmas week. It's a Monday morning six pack on the Spot Track Podcast. A little soccer, a little baseball, a little basketball, a little hockey. It's a non football show. So if I'm disappointing you out of the gate, I apologize. I'm burying the lead. But uh, six quick topics, a bunch of nerdy stuff to get to today. I like doing these as a quick recap versus, you know, analysis and deep dive research every now and then. But look, there's more of that coming on SpotTrack.com. I recently posted an MLB recap talking about the latest signings, the latest tax updates, all the nerdy junky stuff we're talking about in December in terms of baseball. And three big things coming down the docket from me. Number one, we are feverishly preparing for our year-end show, which is going to come with a year-end article. Best and worst contracts from all the major sports. A spot track recap of you know which players and teams were most viewed in terms of like a popularity contest, and some future predictions that are definitely going to be wrong. That's coming with uh, Scott and Dan probably two weeks from now. So we're already doing the work on that. Hopefully that's going to be a good one. I'm in double NFL mode, triple NFL mode. The top free agents, which is changing because. Any of us who have been talking about Tom Brady as a notable free agent may be second-guessing everything we know right now after this past weekend. So top free agents, updated quarterback tiers, contractually speaking, and roster bubble. Because you know how it works. Second the regular season ends, 50% of the league looks around their roster and says, all right, we've got to start shedding some cap restructures, pay cuts, outright releases, hopefully a bunch of trades. It's been really good in February and March in terms of uh, the NFL and the trade system. So I'll be talking about quarterbacks, of course, probably on the next episode. I'm going to have that tiers uh, pretty much done in the next 24 hours here. Barring Baker Mayfield, you know, blowing the doors off again tonight for the Rams against the Packers and Aaron Rodgers either going way up or way down because it's pretty fluid right now, especially with the older guys. But that's the goal for this week. Probably the quarterback tiers first to prep for this, this next episode of the spot track podcast. Start getting the roster rubbles prepared to be pushed out probably right after Christmas, right? Merry Christmas. You're off the roster. And, uh, and then top free agents closer to that last regular season week when we sort of know where things are going to stand and which teams are, Really going to start to break it down in 2023. I think that's going to be quite the, uh, quite the growing list here after I identify the quarterbacks and where these teams are because that's where it all starts. If you got a guy, you're going nowhere. If you got a guy under contract that you hate, you're probably still going nowhere. And there's you know, three or four teams that have that situation right now. So I'll save you for a minute on this show. There'll be plenty to read. And then we'll uh, recap that on this, probably the next episode of the Spot Trip Podcast. I'm going to bring Scott in. We'll get that six-pack out of the way in just a moment. All right, Scott. Big soccer weekend. feel like way more people than I expected were watching this soccer game. I mean, there were grandparents in my life who were talking about this to me. I mean, the, the Twitterverse alone just exploded with this. Uh, is this a bigger deal than you thought it was going to be? Yeah, I think it definitely yeah. is. I, and I think what helped was... It had a NCAA kind of uh, feeling to it where it was in the middle of the day and people were trying to watch during work and that kind of stuff. So I think the the timing of it during the day really helped amplify the games themselves. And then obviously with the the final being as it was, you know, on a Sunday morning before NFL happened and everything else, it just was like a perfect storm, at least here in the United States, I think. Yeah, and head start power. Huge star power. You were able to kind of root for the big boys for the most, almost the whole way through this thing, obviously to the end with Messi. Uh, We're a money show. This is not just a trophy tournament. (laughs) Do you have any idea? Have you read any pieces about how much money these, these uh, countries make from the world cup, Scott? Do you have any, actually, actually I don't, I haven't seen anything. So hit me. It's a perfect answer. Um, The pot this year was $440 million. The biggest pot in history. 
to me, it's less about what that pot was and where we where we've come with this pool of money. Um, twenty years ago, the two thousand two World Cup in Japan and South Korea, the the pool was one hundred and thirty four million. Four years later in Germany, it it went up a hundred million dollars to two hundred thirty six, and then a hundred million again four years later. So. My guess is it's TV money that came in or streaming money at that point in time around 2010. But to have a $200 million increase over eight years, obviously things went well. You know, obviously all the syndications came in. Maybe more countries got involved. Obviously, there were some SPACs and stuff like that built into the FIFA network at that point in time. But this was, let's just put it this way in 2002 based on the pool alone, which is revenue. The interest was a quarter of what it now is. Let's, let's just say it that way. If, you know what I mean? I do. It's, it's leveled off a little bit. 2014 was around 350. It was about 400 last year, and then 440 this year in Qatar. So it, obviously, it's still going well. Um, this, this tournament as a whole, I think, was a massive success outside of the political side of Qatar itself, which I'll stay away from, but more, more people should not stay away from that because it's as good as it was ugly. Um, so how was that 440 dispersed? I don't have the full breakdown. Um, maybe we'll get that at some point and be able to push that out to a spot or something. But I can tell you right now that Argentina bagged $42 million, which is insane. If we just talk about the last time they won the World Cup in 1986, it was a $2.8 million pot for the, for the winner. So they have, uh, they've done well for themselves here. That's increased about the, same, about the same multiplying factor as the total pool, which makes sense. Obviously, there's some sort of formula built into how the, the teams uh, earn their money. Every single team that was in the tournament made something, by the way. There wasn't like a cut line or anything like that. Everybody made something. So it does trickle down through all of the nations that entered here. So... The, the only other thing I'll mention, Scott, because you and I follow the postseason money for all these other sports quite a bit. From what I'm reading, they basically just hand Argentina $42 million and say, whatever you want to do with it, do with it. There's no, give me a list of 50 people and we'll split it up evenly. You know what I mean? Like how the mm-hmm. NFL does that with their playoff pool. I'm pretty sure the NBA does that as well, right? Uh, it's just a per person. Gets about yep. two fifty each, something like that, right? Um, that's not the case here. It's just FIFA. By the way, this is FIFA money. I should mention that this is FIFA money. FIFA hands forty two million dollars to Argentina to, uh, in the next couple of days, and, and they just do you know. So there's a chance Messi gets nothing because he's worth one hundred and seventy million a year. <laughs> you know what I mean? They may just look at it and say we're going to pay you know the trainers and the coaches staff and things like that, and maybe pump it into our our program so we can continue to train and develop at a high level. Who knows? I, I thought it was interesting that it's basically just a cash check, you know, and, and the players necessarily don't have to benefit from this. It's a, uh, it's as weird and rogue and robust as FIFA has always been. Everything about this is big, gaudy, and sort of, you know, no strings attached. It's very Wait, NCAA like. <laughs> yeah, but that which makes the u.s men's and women's agreement for their payouts even more significant because that you know if i remember correctly i i think there's only like you know four or five countries that actually have something in place i could be wrong on that it could be even less than that but you know the fact that the men's and the women's whatever they earn gets split amongst all of those players and coaches or you know however deep it goes that's pretty significant as opposed to here here the country just figures it out on their own. Definitely. It's a great point. I'm glad you brought it up again. I know you mentioned it a couple, couple of days ago on the show as well. Um, and by the way, this is a perfect lead-in for next year's Women's World Cup, I, I, especially in, in America, when there's a lot more interest, I think, on in the women's side of things. There's a lot more hope in the women's side of things. I wouldn't necessarily say that they're the definitive favorites anymore. The, the world has certainly caught up, and we have come back down to earth a little bit, but Regardless of how the USA men's team kind of floundered out here, I, I have to think the ratings yesterday were absolutely unbelievable. I mean, and you're right. The fact that it led into that 1 p.m. set of football games literally to the minute 
everything went right for, for Fox and, and soccer over the last couple of weeks with this tournament. So um, the, I don't know if you were listening to the broadcast, but it was a hilarious comment um, at the start of overtime, basically. <laughs> If you're if you've been with us, you know it's been a heck of a ride. And this is, if you're just joining us now because you're hearing about the World Cup going to overtime, this is how soccer always is. <laughs> it's always it's always this exciting. It's always this on your edge. Um, we know it's not, but it's this was a, a very positive tournament. Obviously, there's a lot of money involved, and I think you're right in saying that the women are going to have a good run with this next year. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned the streaming part. The streaming part has got to be huge because, the, you know, the World Cup only comes every four years for these the men's and then offset one year for the women. But it's every four. You know, the streaming capabilities 10, 12 years ago are not what they are now. So the number of eyeballs that they're able to hit in real time, you know, has to really factor into you know the amount of money that is being pumped into this. And, you know, the fact that it's going to be uh, down under for the for the women and you know it's just every four years that progress you know what's going to happen in four years when the men's world cup comes around again as far as the streaming capabilities and the internet capabilities around the world where some countries may not have it and in four years they may it's just able to grow uh the brand of soccer even more having those technology pieces in place and, and oh by the way the 2026 World Cup is in North America. Right. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. It's the U.S., it's Canada, it's parts of Mexico. Uh, couldn't be a better lead-in for that as well. If the, if the transfer of power is going from you know, Qatar, which you're right, had, had the time zones on their side, I think from an American standpoint for sure. And uh, certainly that'll be the same now when it comes to North America in four years. So I, I think it's a good 10-year run here for soccer. Hopefully there's some momentum locally here with the U.S. side of things, especially if the women do well next year. But a lot of things are, are lined up properly for this to be a good decade of soccer interest in America. Yeah, and I think you know some of the names that came out of this World Cup yeah. are going to be even more known now. You know, and I think you might have some, you know, young kids that are going to gravitate towards some of those names mm -hmm. moving forward. I mean, you know, Mbappe, you know, and uh, uh, Gakpo. And you, right. I mean, they're just a handful of players that really, you know, you want those stars to show up and they did. And now that's just going to help take soccer to the next level, especially at the international level. And the fact that there's rumors of Messi potentially coming to Inter Miami for the MLS, you know, from what I've been reading, it's going to be a MLS record kind of deal if it does happen. And, you know, the highest uh, in the MLS, since we're a, a financial company right now, is, you know, the highest is $14 million yeah. uh, from salary from last year. So if they're saying it's going to be a record breaking, then it's going to be north of $14 million. What's so your pulse on that, though, Scott? Do you think it actually gets there? Do you, do you think now, having seen what he did, that leaving the bigger, the bigger clubs, the bigger league, is really in his, in his window right now? I mean, if, I mean obviously offer, it's not about money. With <laughs> no, it's not about this. Um, it, 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 with his legendary status, it could just be the, the branding and, and growing the game all over the world. And, you know, if he brings yeah. it to that, MLS and the that's United States, the angle. that's right, Scott, that that's how but you I, sell it to him is, is look, we we've got some momentum over here. Obviously you have a maximum amount of momentum right now, Lionel Messi. If we can put these two things together and even if it's not a permanent contract here, there's some loanability stuff, right? Oh, he could yeah, be loaned here for a four, a four month stint or something like that just to sort of get a cup of coffee and, and have the interest ramp back up. I, I, I think that's the smart play here is get him here. However the hell you can do it, even if it's not a real Wayne Rooney type signing. Right. Right. And I, I, I do think it is a legit kind of reporting because it's been happening for over a year now that it's going to be inner Miami. And I mean, obviously no coincidence that Beckham owns that franchise. So you know, you know, another international star trying to get the international star in here. Um, so I, I, even if you get him in here for, you know, uh, one season, the amount of uh, publicity and uh, attendance at games is going to go up because people 
are going to want to go see him on a you know weekly basis. So anything that they can do, they they have to do it. And I think on a smaller help. degree, the, the the USA players that play in the MLS will get a bump up, uh, you know, attention span. That the new streaming package I think will will work out well with that. It's all in one spot. You'll be able to sort of you know devour this this season, this sport, all in one place. And two of those USA players that you know, two of the better ones, the goalie and Tyler Adams, the captain are Premier League players, which that ramps back up next week. And it's a smooth transition into my final question for you with this first uh, bullet point, Scott. If I told you that the World Cup winner makes $42 million, what does the Premier League winner win this coming May just to be atop the table? There's no playoffs or anything. It's just you got to be first. What do you think that the Premier League winner is scheduled to make next May? Mm, I'll say sixty million, two hundred million dollars. Ooh, wow! That's how powerful the Premier League is. That's how powerful soccer in England is. Still, that's bonkersville. All right, that is. It, the reports are that even a team that gets relegated this year is going to make north of a hundred million dollars just to go away. That's how healthy that league is. So that comes back next Monday. If you uh, if you need a little bit more soccer in your life after what we just watched, that's the that's the league to watch, and then certainly the MLS once once that ramps back up. Do you know if the winner gets two hundred million? Do you know if a runner up or any you know if is is it just the winner gets winner no. take all money, or is there a tiered system? Yeah, in- there's a revenue sharing system. Okay, and, uh, and that's why it hurts so much to get relegated. You get that payment, you know, for your, for the season you played, but the second you're not there, all of that just goes away, and you're basically funding yourself from the ground up. So, yeah, and those Cinderella stories is even even better because exactly. they rarely get that money, and they have that influx of money pushed in. That's like a that's like a it's a, like hitting a, a parlay team. once and then just having house money to bet with for five more years. <laughs> Well, in my neck of the woods, it's like when George Mason made it to the final four and then all of a sudden, boom, they're they're They have an influx of, uh, you know, students wanting to go there and they they were con- doing construction all over the place. So it's a hmm. massive influx for those lower tier teams. All right, let's switch to baseball. Dansby Swanson. I think this is going to be the last big contract, Scott, of this offseason in terms of free agency. We might see some extensions. I got one to talk about here in a second. Dansby Swanson kind of goes the hot stove route, joins the Chicago Cubs. Speaking of soccer, his wife is Mallory Pugh, who plays for the USA Women's National Team, who plays for Chicago in the NWSL, as you know, tracking that on Spot Track. Uh, so there was a family side of this. So it's seven years, $177 million for Dansby Swanson. That's pretty much where we had it. We had him about six for 150, six for 160. So. They tacked on that extra year to get it done. It sounds like there are about eight teams in on him. Big last contract. What do you think, Scott? Yeah, I think so. I'll what there, there are some decent names left, but not any like blow your, blow your mind out of, out of the water here. So um, it's mostly, you know, some of those role players, but for, the amount of big contracts that have come through, you know, ML MLB did not, short changes at all no no we knew it was going to be a good off season uh we knew we had a bunch of 300 million dollar contracts in the docket here uh any guesses without looking if you're not looking at the where we are in free agency in terms of total contracts i i already did so i'll I'll spoil the fun yeah, we're, we're almost almost at 3.4 billion dollars right which is now north of last year's entire off season uh obviously yep. 2021 2020 were modified with the covid protocols and things like that but uh, if you get back into the 2019s and the 2018s, uh, we're about at the top of the mountain here. This is uh, about as good as you're going to get in Major League Baseball right now. Uh, we knew it was coming with this shortstop crop. We knew there were a couple of pitchers who were going to bank. Everybody did about as expected. And look, it's not a, it's not a pat on the back kind of discussion, but everybody kind of got exactly where we projected them, Scott. You know, it was... Unfortunately, we knew this was gonna, there were going to be long-term contracts. We've talked about that before in the past couple of episodes. I wish those would go away. I wish they, would, they wouldn't flatline these contracts for, for tax purposes. I wish that more teams were not afraid of the tax because the math is in their favor. And we've, we've done it. We've, we've put it out there. 
but that's just the reality of Major League Baseball. But still, 3.4-ish billion with probably, I don't know, maybe 300, 300 million more to come just the, with volume left. So maybe we get ourselves just under $4 billion. That's a pretty damn good offseason, if I had to ask. Yeah, and, and I made a comment offline to, to you and, and Dan was, you know, it, it's been refreshing to see all these deals happening right now in hmm. December instead of like when Bryce Harper signed, you know, that was all the way into January, February. It's been really nice at least having like a, a true free agency period and Judge sort of was like the, the domino that fell and we had quite a bit after. Um, but for a, a league that doesn't really, it has a free agency date, but no one really cares because it's like five days after the World Series. But to have like this last three weeks of, of all these deals coming through has been really, really fun to, to see instead of having to drag our feet and wait and what, what's going to happen. And the second note I'll say is, you know, you and Dan have been talking about this free agent crop for the shortstops for yeah. years and it to, for it to finally come to fruition has been, you know, really interesting to see. I, I guess I can equate it to what happened with the wide receiver in, yeah. in the spring with the NFL, you know, all these guys got paid from the shortstop standpoint. My question back to you is what, what's the next position, mm. you know, you guys projecting this shortstop's, you know, two or three years ago that these guys are going to get paid. It's just a matter of when. Uh, so who's next, do you think, from a positional standpoint? It's a fair question because the, the talk about positions in Major League Baseball alone is, is interesting with the catchers being devalued, with first baseman being devalued to a lot of degree. I mean, they've had a bunch of rough off seasons here and a lot of guys just basically taking what their, their current team is offering them. Uh, I, I just think the... The outfield five-tool player is coming back, which makes me so freaking happy. Uh, the Michael Harris's, the Julio Rodriguez's, I think there's a Kyle Tucker contract somewhere in the next 18 months. The guys who can hit 300, who can mash 30, who might steal 15, who play amazing defense. Obviously, the Brandon the Nimmo contract raised a lot of eyeballs. It didn't raise mine. I mean, uh, I know exactly what that player is worth. He's uh, the, that annoying kid that runs the first base when he walks every time, you know, that in Little League probably drove parents off the freaking wall. He's still doing that five, you know, eight years into Major League Baseball. Uh, that guy is coming back. And it makes me super happy because those are the guys that have been working since age 12 on every facet of the game. They're not just trying to hit the ball out. They're not the one trick ponies. Um, so, so I don't think it's one specific position. I think it's a genre. It's a brand of player. And it's a lot like the NBA, Scott. They're looking for a guy that can be two way, that can be athletic, that can be streaky and go on runs. I, I just, I like where that part of the game is going. There's some obviously negative parts of baseball that we talk about quite a bit. I'm really happy to see that that's, that's coming back. I'm going to get back to the shortstops in a second. Let me, let me throw this question at you so we can get off of Swanson here. Swanson's going to make $177 million. That's the total contract value, maybe even more with some incentives I, I haven't yet uh, confirmed. Where does that rank in Cubs contracts? Uh, it's got to be, I, I think I saw it was second behind Hayward. Hayward's at the top, and by the way, long been considered the contract that broke free agency. That was supposed to be the one that made everybody else say, we got to stop signing people into their, into their late thirties. We got to stop giving, you know, halfway decent defensive players, big time contracts and big time AAVs. And it did for a cup of coffee, right? I mean, it, it definitely did that in the pools contract, I think really slowed things down a bit. Uh, we are, the, the, the bevy has broken again. <laughs> and, and at least I think we can put it this way. At least it's super duper stars getting this kind of treatment, right? It's still going to be ugly in six, seven years for all these guys. But do you think the Swanson contract in comparison to the Turner contract is fine? Where do you, I mean, where do you see seven for 177 versus 11 for 300 with these two players? Having seen a lot of Trey Turner, I know. Um, I think the Cubs are happy that at seven years, because, you know, those back years, we, we, we saw the decline in Pujols and 
you know, who knows what's going to happen with some of these other players, but, you know, to, to commit to 10 plus years, you have to have a lot of faith and, and to a certain extent, not really care. You, you're, you're getting the immediacy. So if in the back end there's issues, then you'll deal with it at that point. But from a Cubs standpoint, knowing that you only have it for seven years, as opposed to mm-hmm. a 13 year deal, I think they've got to be happy from that where, you know, if, if they can get five solid production years out of him and there's two not so, or you have to move off of him or do right. whatever, then I think they're okay with that instead of knowing, Oh man, we've got the same guy for 13 years. And but the only way we can move him is if he actually wants to go to somewhere else. But when his production is declined, what team is actually going to want to even touch that player? Right. So Swanson gets the full no trade clause at the seven year deal. He's only 28 heading into 29. So I think the numbers are in Chicago's favor here. Let's, let's run to the top five uh, contracts in Cubs history. Total value wise Swans are up Hayward at 184. This Swanson deal slots in a second, as you mentioned at 177, John Lester. That was certainly worth it. 155 won them of the world series. Alfonso Soriano. They ripped him away from the Yankees in free agency at 136. That did not work out. And you Darvish. At 126 back in 2018, he was good, but he wasn't as good as he's been for San Diego. He he found a second life in this San Diego situation. And oh, by the way, he's on an expiring contract and probably is going to be the next San Diego player to cash in big if he wants to stick with that franchise. So San Diego probably not done handing out big money right now. So that's the Cubs. And as Cousin Dan has mentioned, they're going to take a step forward, not probably as far as all of this money and, and, and fanfare is going to you know, want them to be, but they're going to take a step forward this year. Let's talk about the shortstop market that you mentioned. You're right. It has come to fruition. I, I, I mentioned it's kind of exactly where we thought it was going to be. It's $1.1 billion in total value for Carlos Correa, Trey Turner, Xander Bogarts, and Dansby Swanson now. How about this tidbit, though, Scott? None of them returned to their previous team. Yeah. Why? How is that the case? If, if shortstop is so damn important, how is it the case that none of these guys were ma- at least matched an offer by their current team? Well, I think in Trey Turner's case, it sounded like he wanted to East coast, no mm-hmm. matter what. So the fact that may- maybe the Dodgers just realized that even if we make an offer, it's not going to sway him one way or another. Um, is there any is any part of it Tyreek Hill? Mm. Know what I to mean? what to, to what extent? Meaning, the meaning, meaning they had a player, obviously in Patrick Mahomes, and they had a great player in Tyreek Hill, and they just decided the Kansas City Chiefs that instead of thirty million a year for that guy. They would love to recoup the draft picks, which, by the way, many of the previous teams will do now with the qualifying offer. And we'll we'll take that twenty-five to thirty million a year, which is where most of these guys ended up on the on the tax. And we're going to spread it out over an outfielder and a pitcher, or two pitchers, Mm -hmm. or whatever else it's going to need. We're going to we're going to opt for depth over overpaying one position, even though wide receiver and shortstop obviously still a position of prominence in their respective sports. I, I do think it's some of it. And, and by the way, the, the track is very similar in how shortstops are constantly drafted. Shortstops are almost exclusively signed internationally. I mean, the, everybody's a shortstop that comes out of the Dominican Republic. It's just how it works for some reason. Um, I just think we have a lot of guys. We got a lot of bodies that can play that position, especially defensively. And they're being taught in, you know, Carlos Beltran's academies and things like that to learn how to pull and learn how to hit and learn how to, what launch angle is. And I I think there's a, there's an education mechanism happening with this uh, position specifically that is bringing us a surplus of talent in in this regard. And, And we're seeing that the wide receiver position as well. We're seeing six wide receivers go in the top 50 picks almost every single draft. And I've mentioned it before. At some point, that's going to catch up. We, yes, we had the offseason we just had where 20 guys you know, cashed in at $15 million plus. Will that ever happen again? 
Will, will, will the NFL ever let that happen because of all the youth that continues to come into this league and, and really shine out of the gate? Yeah, it's a good point, especially the comparison, that comparison of short, shortstop versus the wide receiver. You know, the, the you know, shortstop is usually your most athletic. So if you draft those shortstops, you can put them wherever you need to as they get older or, you know, mm-hmm. whatnot. I, I when I look at this, I, I wonder if the teams that the original teams that these players came from are playing the smart card of, all right, you can go ahead and sign those guys for 11, 13 years and you can be locked up long term. We're not going to play that game. We'd rather play the short term. And, and, and you can poke holes in this all you want. But, you know, the Dodgers are a smart team mm-hmm. from from the top down, from player development, from the organization at the top. You know, I just wonder if they they knew a Trey didn't want to be there. So we're not even going to from at least we haven't heard that they made an offer. But the fact that they had what a year and a half with him and they sort of just let him go and not wanting to sign him to that super long term, that may show us more on the Dodger side than on the Trey Turner side of they're they're gonna be patient. They're not afraid. Right. They they don't want to go that long term. I think maybe Boston to a certain extent as well. You know, mm-hmm. they, 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 they let Mookie Betts go. They let Xander Bogarts go. You know, they don't want, they, they obviously don't want to do that super long term. And, you know, they sort of ripped it down, but they sort of competed this year. So it'll be interesting in the long term how, you know, it really flushes out. But I just wonder how much it is on the front office of saying, well, we're going to be patient. We're not going to, buy into that super long-term contract because we know what happens in the long-term of the back end of those contracts. It's fair. I'll get to Boston in a second. I'm definitely going to poke holes in that conversation, but uh, you know, the Dodgers, I think all the, all the way this off season and Dan had mentioned it, alluded to it. It was about trimming some money off this year. This was the one off season. They were going to dial it back a little bit. They're going to let some of their young kids grow up in 2023 on the roster and probably on the field. And then they're going to reset their value market. They've, they've got a decent farm system still. They can then make their splash next offseason. Now, it's not going to have the flashy names that we've talked about here. It's just not. You know, this was going to be a one and done kind of offseason with the judges and the Turners and the Correas. But, you know, they may be able to find some pitching next year. That, that may be the, it may be the year of the pitching via the trade, via the... Uh, by a free agency next offseason. And that's probably the smarter decision anyway, isn't it? Let's not pay a shortstop. Let's go find yeah. a couple of start, starting pitchers instead. Well, in, in, uh, to go back to your five-tool point, you know, a lot of teams are looking at these new rules mm-hmm. and saying we need, you know, base runners. We need guys that are at least going to get on base, you know. So the rules are going to really start to shift. And Dan alluded to this a couple weeks or months ago when you guys started talking free agency of – you know, teams knowing that the rules are shifting, so they're going to want to shift as well. I, I think the point from Dan saying that this is the year for the Dodgers to sort of reset is super valid because, you know, in Major League Baseball, as soon as you go below that tax line, you completely reset back to 20 percent. Whereas, you know, the, the, the NBA that I cover it's three of the last four years. So you could have three years in a row, but that fourth year, you're still a repeater. If you're, once you get into there until you're, you're phased out of not having three of the last four. So the Dodgers to take a step back, let all these other teams pay and then reset their tax and then come in and pay next year. That that's smart on their end. I agree. All right, let's do a tax update. Because that was going to be the next uh, next item on the docket here anyway. We've now got 11 teams, Scott, that Track projects to be two, north of $200 million on opening day in terms of the tax payroll. Both Chicago teams got involved with the Benintendi deal and this Dansby Sponson contract for the Cubs. So um, that's a decent number. Only four still project to be over 233. The same four we've been talking about, the Mets, the Yankees, the Phillies, the Padres. The Padres are very close and could move one player to get themselves into safety. Uh, the Phillies could do that as well, by the way, if a player like Reese Hoskins is traded off the roster or something like that come the deadline. 
So those two teams are, I would say, fringe over. The, the Yankees now push themselves close to that fourth tier. They're at 288 in our system. 293 is that fourth tier's threshold. If they do any kind of damage with the, with the bullpen, which I do think they should do, they're going to push into the fourth tier. Five teams. Can, are you looking at the list right now? Uh, the one you tweeted? Yeah. Yep. All right, so you're cheating. I was going to ask you which five teams are projected to be less than $100 million on opening day. I think you could have got there. Uh, yeah. Um, it's obviously the A's and the Pirates, the Orioles and the Reds, and then the Kansas City Royals. So all the usual suspects for the most part. Uh, I would expect the Orioles to start getting aggressive maybe at the trade deadline, definitely next offseason. It's about time for them. The, the youth is starting to hit the roster. They're going to start to percolate on that roster in 2023. I would expect a big offseason from them next year. Maybe not a Rangers-type blockbuster $600 million offseason, but something along the lines of time to start pushing the gas pedal down. Um, but I think, Scott, it's going to be trade season. I know we, we kind of go through that lump when winter meetings hit. All the, all the GMs and owners are sitting in the same room bumping elbows. It's a good time to make those kind of negotiations. But look, now that the big fish are all gone, the trade is probably the best way for some of these contenders to fill that last hole. And uh, I did push a recent piece out with about 12 candidates that I think are at least in conversations right now. Some of them are specific names like Carlos Carrasco. Some of them are position groups like all of the Blue Jays catchers or <laughs> all of the Arizona Diamondbacks outfielders. But it's all relevant. I think all of these players are, uh, are being talked about right now, at least behind the scenes. I do think the Mets have to subtract a little bit here, even though, you know, obviously nothing is bothering Steve Cohen right now <laughs> monetarily. I think Carlos Carrasco's on the block. I think catcher James McCann is on the block. And I think third baseman Eduardo Escobar is on the block. Um, you mentioned the Red Sox. They're trying to lock down Rafael Devers, their star third baseman, who is kind of the last man standing right now. J.D. Martinez, gone. Dodgers. Um, Xander Bogart's gone. Padres. Nate Evaldi's going to be gone. He was their ace last year. Their real big ad was Kenley Jansen, who's 30-something, signed a two-year deal to become, I guess, the closer, maybe the setup guy with Matt Barnes. I'm never going to argue with somebody adding bullpen. That's certainly the, one of the better ways to start re resetting yourself. Uh, they were bad last year. And this has been a bad offseason. And it's not bad because they didn't sign Carlos Correa. It's not bad because they missed out on Carlos Rodon. It's bad because the tone coming out of that front office, and specifically, I think, from the ownership down, is this is just how we are now. We're not the Yankees. We're definitely not the Mets. We're not the Padres. We're going to be smart with our money. We're, we're, we're running this like a business that has to profit. That's the, that's the read I'm hearing from Boston. And look, they've kind of always been that way. Um, even back into their Moneyball days, they were, they were always this kind of finicky, frugal type team. And then they decided just to open up the gates a little bit because they were starting to get, it's, you know, it's kind of that George Mason conversation, right? The second you sniff it a little bit, you feel like you have to go. And they, they just have no reason to have to go. The Yankees are big. The, the, the Rays continually beat them despite half the payroll. The Blue Jays are in their window right now, and they know it. I think they're looking around, and you know they're the Buffalo Bills in the, in, the, in, the, in the early 2000s looking at Tom Brady in their division saying, why would we even try? <laughs> I think that's who the Red Sox are. And uh, just to bring it back to Devers real quick, they're trying to sign him, and they're trying to sign him so that they can salvage a roster a little bit here so they can save face and sell some freaking tickets. Cause obviously if you're going to run a business, that's part of it. The problem is they tried with bets. They tried with Bogarts and at no point in time was it ever reported that those contracts offers were even freaking close. They are lowballing the hell out of their current team players because they have a set price in their mind, probably from the owner down and they are absolutely unflappably not going over it. And if you are, 15 million per year off on Rafael Devers, who is entering his last year of arbitration, which is where they were with bets. You're not, you're going to get to a bad, bad place with this whole situation. And by the way, also with your fan base, 
And what comes next? It, why can't it be Mookie Betts 2.0? It, it will be, in my opinion. He'll become a trade candidate. And by the way, that Dodgers conversation we just had will change dramatically because the Dodgers are the A number one team for Rafael Devers, and they will take him on, and they may not sign him for this year because it's about keeping it, keeping it kind of uh, locked down this year. They'll, they'll play out his arbitration year, and then there'll be a wink-wink in place to sign him to $300 million next offseason. But um, that's how I see this thing unfolding for Boston over the next couple of weeks if they don't significantly raise whatever offers they've been making so far. Yeah, that's it's super interesting as you're you're going through the the checklist of, you know, with Boston there. All I can think of is what the Nationals did last year. You know, yeah. the, Jan, the the Kenley Jansen signing is sort of like the Nelson Cruz signing last year. They were hoping <laughs> they would they were going to sign him and probably flip him at the trade deadline. And then, you know, the, the Soto going out and you know, the year before Trey Turner going out and, you know, Boston, yeah. s- similar situation, you know. They, they, they don't want to have to pay and they're going to hold firm on their, uh, you know, their maximum threshold of what they actually want to pay somebody. Do you know what they offered Xander Bogarts at the end of last season? I can't remember. They offered him a one-year $30 million attack on extension to his current opt-outable contract, which was $20 million a year. For, it was three for 60. So they basically said, we'll go three for 60, then one for 30. That's what they offered him. He signed for 11 years and $280 million, Scott. <laughs> yeah. I mean, talk about not reading the room properly. Uh, to me, it's, it's a lot like the Nats because I don't think the Nats ever wanted to sign Juan Soto and ever wanted to sign Trey Turner. And ever, I don't think it was ever in their, in their wheelhouse. All they wanted to do is get out a PR statement that says, well, we tried. Yep. That's all. We didn't. We did bare minimum to to try to secure these players, but they just outpriced us. That's it. Or they didn't want to be here or whatever it was. You know, it's never me. It's always you. And (laughs) well, and and you you made the point of, you know, the, the Yankees are all in and, you know, Blue Jays and the, the nationals are in a similar, not to go down a nationals hole here, but you know, similar situation. The Mets are high. The Phillies are high. The Braves are high. So, you know, it's sort of, all right, we're going to reset because we see what, what those teams are going to do. And we, with what we have in the pipeline, we know we're not going to compete at least for the next few years. So Boston is probably reading the tea leaves in the same sense, you know, not, not to equate the Dodgers, but, you know, do the reset, do what you can, you know, if they can bring in Jansen and then flip him for whatever prospects, and then that's how they're going to reset from a money ball standpoint, then you can't fault them too too much on that. I'm not, I'm not a fan. That's a team that should never be taken. <laughs> I'm not either. That's I, a that's a team uh, right. that should never I, I have a breakdown ever, 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 yeah, ever. They should constantly be trying. Baseball should be demanding that that team's constantly constantly trying. So I'm in a dark place with that team right now, based on the fact that they've ha- they have. It's not like they haven't had the players. They've had them. They've mismanaged it, or they've they've factually said business business before baseball. That's not the way to operate in, in any kind of American sport right now. Okay, ready for number five? Stop me if you've heard this th- sentence before, Scott. Anthony Davis is out indefinitely. Pause. <laughs> Freeze. <laughs> yeah. yeah, hand raised, right? Yeah. He, uh, he's 29 years old going on 50 because every time I watch him play, I feel like I'm hurt. I, 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 I get anxious watching him play basketball. Every time he jumps, every time he shoots a, a jumper from 16, he's still yep. a hell of a player. I'm, I'm not trying to, to, to knock the player. In fact, he's having, I think, his best season in the last five years. He's literally carrying this team where in, in a season where LeBron is, is declining. Let's just be honest about the LeBron, and that's fine. But he was playing outstanding basketball for about six weeks. And to the point of yeah, where he I, was to the point, Scott, of where I was about to say, hey, this is a nine seed. This is an eight seed. This Lakers team, if, if he's con- continuing to do this, he's going to drag this four man roster into the back of the Western Conference playoffs. And I, I, I really would have said that, except for he's going to miss a month now, at least. Yeah. And a lot of the conversation was if he can sustain this for the next yeah. two, three months, we may have an MVP candidate here. And that's gone by the wayside in a matter of, you know, overnight. So, yeah. Uh, you're you're right. This is a team that could have been, you know, knocking on the doors, especially with the Warriors struggling and 
you know, the, the Mavericks struggling to a certain extent, being at 500, the uh, Utah Jazz are starting to sort of come, come back down to earth. So if they, if Davis was healthy, they had a legit chance of being at the back end of a playoff seed. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's better than being where they're at right now, especially when your pick goes to the Pelicans. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> you want to win as many games as possible. 38 million this year, 40 next year, then a $43 million player option in 2024. What is the future for Anthony Davis? Uh, that, that's a, that's a spectacular question. I mean, and is Rob, is Rob in... Palenka the one making that decision? Uh, I, I think Davis is probably going to have to get traded at some point, whatever you do with it. I mean, he's been in rumors in the off season of what do you do? Mm-hmm. Um, is Palenka the one that's going to make the decision? Probably, if I remember correctly, I think he signed an extension oh, that sort of lines up. So with does Steve all of them, Kime in Arizona. Steve Kime's about to get fired <laughs> tomorrow. Yeah, that's, so. that's true. That's true. And I'd have to double check my if if that was true or not with the extension. I can't he, he remember. He did sign an extension. I think okay. it's I think it's through 26, 20, think, 26 maybe. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not that long. Okay. So, um, yeah, this team it just is a revolving door of what ifs and. Yeah. And what do you do now and going into the off season and, and you know, do you, do you operate with having some cap, cap space? Do you, you trade those picks? It, it, it's a opinion. Yes. They won the, the championship, but it's been ever since it's been an epic failure, you know, from the trades of Westbrook and the roster construction of, uh, minimum salaries and hmm. mid-level salaries and just sort of piecing together this roster and hoping something works and maybe trying to flip some guys at the trade deadline, but that hasn't happened. And you're stuck with three guys making all the money for the entire cap, essentially, you know, that what they're at Russell's at 47 LeBron at 44 and a half Anthony at almost 38, you know, when, You've got a guy that's a shell of himself, a guy who is arguably one of the best all time and on his decline. And then a, a big who is constantly hurt and everyone, you know, from people that I, I've listened to and, and read, you know, him getting big was like Dwight Howard when he got big and he wasn't the same way. And when I mean big, I mean like muscular, it's just not how he operates yeah. from a, physical standpoint so that whoever said you need to get big and and bulk up should not have their job because it has completely changed the way Anthony Davis just operates on the floor and and whatever happened, you know, that that he just, he continues to get injured over and over again. And it's just been uh, a really bad look for the Lakers organization. I, I think Anthony Davis did enough this year. And what I mean by that is... Oh, I do too. No, but what I mean by that is... I think the Westbrook stuff is done. I, I don't think he's going to be moved. There's a chance... No, I don't think so There's either. a chance a player like Beverly goes and maybe some of the smaller, smaller guys to bring in some type of shooter, outside shooter. But I think this team just sort of lets this thing ride. A, an injury in the middle of December... It stinks because the momentum was there. But it's going to be six weeks before the trade deadline. It's going to be three and a half months before the end of the season, right? I mean, I I think they can last this out is my point. I think they can get through this month, maybe six weeks if you try to slow play this, and then basically just ask this roster to go back to what November was. Just play November basketball for two and a half months. And if, if the injury bug doesn't bite us again, I still think that they're, you know, that they're going to be hanging around the, that that play-in seed. They've got nothing to lose. The, you're right. The picks, it, I, I wouldn't sell the farm. I wouldn't sell the draft picks. I would just try to resuscitate what we just saw for six weeks if they can get this guy healthy and, and knock on what hopefully LeBron is as well. I thought Westbrook's played well. Not good, not great. But, 
enough to be a third cog in the wheel. I think he's actually starting to figure this thing out a little bit and maybe come, you know, having a come to Jesus moment with himself that this is just who my life, what my life is now. No matter what team I'm on, this is going to be my life. It's just the stage of my career. So I, I'm satisfied having seen the Lakers actually have some success. And I just think that should be the philosophy. Whenever we can get back to our big, our big guys being available, run them out there and try to try to sneak into the back end because who the hell knows? You know, who, ha- who let's just get to the postseason, have some sort of relevancy, and then Russ comes off the books. We're going to have a little bit of cap space. Maybe Davis is, is on the block or being rumored a little bit at that point in time because of the almost expiring contract, basically expiring contract with the player option. So I, we've said it before, but having seen them play basketball well even reinforces it more for me that they should just ride this out. Ride it out. Try to sneak in whenever everybody's healthy. And, uh, and go from there. Any additional thoughts? You want to move on to hockey, believe it or not? <laughs> no, I, I think you're right. The season is so long. long. Look at what happened with the Celtics yeah. back in last, you know, last right, January. They were in last and how place. They, right, that's right. Right, they, they, they flipped it around. Boston's even in a, a slump right now. But from the Lakers standpoint, yeah, you're, you're right. You have to really hope in whatever the game plan is for LeBron, LeBron you don't want him to have to carry everything on his shoulders and then him get injured when Davis is potentially coming back, you know, him doing so much and wearing his body down during that six weeks that he might be a shell of himself, but on the back end of Davis coming back from that injury. Um, and hopefully the time frame of six weeks is legit because if it ends up being something that is, you know, a lingering effect and he's not able to come back until later, then that's going to affect some things as you get yeah. closer to the trade deadline. But, you know, he- health is health is the the big thing right now, especially getting into the middle of December, January. That's when a lot, yeah, a lot of teams, yeah. yeah, a lot of teams are dealing with it right now. So yeah. right. I wouldn't put the Lakers in a one one of one situation. Alex Ovechkin, Scott, reached the 800 goal mountain. We knew it was coming. I mean, he did it on a hat trick. That was probably not to be expected. <laughs> um, it's Gretzky 1, Gordie Howe 2, and Alex Ovechkin 3. 894, 801, and 800 respectively for those three. I, uh, this is just a selfish segment. I, I, just, I, I haven't re- researched Wayne Gretzky enough in my life, so I did some more today. I've never researched Gordie Howe in my life, even though I've seen plenty of highlights. So I did some of that today. And then it's always good to get, get refreshed on Alex and what he's done with one team now for 18, you know, going on 21 years. Um, I have to start with Gretzky. <laughs> We've done this before. We should do it every year annually. The numbers on Wayne Gretzky are freaking unbelievable, Scott. And they the, are. They are. The fact that Ovechkin is going to eclipse his goal record is unbelievable. But... It's almost, it's, it's almost not even going to affect Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> like, imagine having the most goals in, in, in the NHL and then somebody passing you, and he can just basically look at him and be like, hey, nice job. I still got all this over here. Here's what he's got over here, Scott. <laughs> okay. He's got 1,963 assists in his career in 22 seasons. It's 714 more than any player in the history of the game. It's over, a, it's over a thousand more than any active player. Do you know who has the most assists right now, actively? Um, I don't know. It's obviously one of the big names. Stamkos? It's Crosby at 915. Oh, yeah. who, and Crosby's on the back end, too. He's got a couple yeah, of Yeah, he is. Mm-hmm. He's, he's over a thousand away from Gretzky. If we're just talking total points, which for you non-hockey fans is just goals plus assists. 2,857 points for Wayne Gretzky in 22 seasons. Just do the divided by math there. I mean, it's insane. Um, That's 936 points more than any player in the history of the game. It's 1,400 more than Crosby, who is the active leader right now at 1,400. Hmm. He's 1,400 more than any player who's playing the game right now. That's insane. It's an unbelievably insane number. In other words, like literally, Sidney Crosby's career up to this point has amassed him 1,440 points. You would need to, he would need to have doubled his career 
to match Wayne Gretzky's 22 seasons. That's what that's what it takes. We we would need Sidney Crosby to be twice as good as he's been in his Hall of Fame career to even approach Wayne Gretzky's points number. Those records, find me a record in, in any other sport anywhere that is more unbreakable than 2,857 points in the NHL. It's absolutely unheard of. It's absurd. It's truly yeah, it, absurd. So um, the fact that Ovechkin is going to approach. Yeah, to have. Yeah. Uh, as I say, to have almost two points per game for your career is insane. <laughs> it's just nuts. It's nuts. Um, the fact that Ovechkin is going to catch him in the next three years, and, I, and I'm knocking on wood, but it's going to happen. To me, it's twofold. It's, it's about celebrating Ovechkin's unbelievable goal-scoring career, and it's going to bring Gretzky back into the focus, which is great. We need this. We need this unbelievable 22-year career of Wayne Gretzky back in the focus because it's going to be good for hockey. I mean, it, it, yeah, is, it, really is. it is their Tom freaking Brady. Uh, talk about it. Get it out there. It's, those numbers are absolutely absurd. They're probably too absurd to talk about. Uh, most people can't even comprehend that, especially if you know anything about hockey. So uh, here's, here's the deal with Alex, and I know you know it because he's in your neck of the woods. He signed a five-year contract a year and a half ago. He's got three and a half years left, about $38 million on that contract. The price is right. He's still producing. He's on pace for 49 goals this year. Again, he's got 20 right now. Uh, let's just say he gets 40. Let's say he gets to that 40 mark again this year, which puts him at about 825. He'll need 25 goals for a year for the last three years to, to be in the conversation to get there. I, I know you kind of live and breathe that team in your neck of the woods. This is going to happen, right? And by the way, if it doesn't happen, they just keep signing them until it happens, right? I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. is that the, the 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 pulse down there? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. You know, he he's the life and blood of that team. Right. You do what you can to uh, allow him to do that as a Washington Capital because you don't want him on the last year that he could potentially break that record to be on you know a rival team or something like that. Okay, Gordy Howe, by the way. 25 seasons with the Red Wings in a row. Then he retired. He got offered like a front office job. He took it for a while. Then this World Hockey Association started. It's kind of like live golf to some degree or the USFL for football. And that was around for about six years. He played because his, his sons ended up playing in that. So he went and played. He was an old man. Played four years in Houston, then two with New England. And then the whole thing folded. And many of those teams or a couple of those teams became NHL teams. So he actually went back to the NHL <laughs> seven years later, uh, which w was then the Hartford Whalers for one season. And he scored 15 goals in that last season. And that put him over the 800 mark. That got him to 801. So it, it was a completely unlikely path for him to get to 800. Uh, but he's obviously in the conversation. Now, Ovechkin's going to pass him maybe tonight, <laughs> you know, with how this is going. He's obviously only one away. And then it's only Gretzky ahead of him. So the the, uh, the drive for 894 is is here. And it's uh, it's going to be really good for hockey. Don't you agree? Yeah, I do. Your point about bringing the conversation with Wayne Gretzky back into the fold is, is I think, you know, spot on. Yeah. Because like you mentioned, Tom Brady, you know, in the NBA, it's always talking about, you know, Michael Jordan or Will Chamberlain. Or, yeah, where's you know, the last all, dance all... For, for Wayne Gretzky, right? Right. You know, in baseball, you know, we talk about, you know, Babe Ruth and Mickey Mantle and, you know, you name all the, the old stars. I don't think NHL does a very good job of promoting their, you know, old legends, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and maybe they do. They and do. Just, it just doesn't get mainstream. Right. But they definitely it, it, do. But and, and maybe that's because NHL for a long time hadn't been mainstream. So, but you're right. The, having something with a, a Wayne Gretzky, you know, documentary would definitely help or, you know, Ovechkin getting closer and them having these conversations like like you just mentioned, Gordie Howe playing at age 51 in the NHL, you know, <laughs> things like that, that you only find out as you deep do a deep dive into NHL stats. But, you know, I, I'm looking at the list of these uh, all time goal scorers. And yeah. I mean, you've got some phenomenal names on here, you know, Yammer Yager, Brett Hall. Uh, you know, Mark Messier, I mean, you go down the list here and it's just like, holy cow, there are a lot of fantastic names on this. And, 
the you know Ovechkin being up there and us being able to witness this kind of history at the same time of us being able to yeah. be in the era of Tom Brady and LeBron and that kind of stuff is just it's pretty awesome to see. And oh, by the way, the Gretzky trade to LA is a 30 for 30 all on its own. I mean, he married like a superstar from Hollywood. So he kind of demanded being moved to Los Angeles. The move from Canada to the US, like rocked the hockey world. And then just the actual trade itself, which came with like all this money, like 15 million cash in 1988, which was freaking unheard of. Five, like four first round picks, three no name players, like one, a bruiser, Marty McSorley, I think was his name, who was just like a, an absolute battle axe fighter. It was one of the most discombobulated trades in the history of the world at that point in time and still stands up today. So there's that part of his story. There's obviously his, his production on the ice. There's all the off the ice stuff, right? The, the, the glamour that was Wayne Gretzky all through these years. And uh, his family life too, right? I mean, he's got a famous daughter now. There's a lot to him. So I'm all for it. Let's, let's bring this guy back into the focus along with the Ovechkin story. And, uh, <laughs> and oh, by the way, hockey's, you know, the NHL is back on ESPN. So my guess is they're already having something in the works, right? Yeah, man. I'm, yeah, and I'm looking 92 goals in a season. Yeah, no, just, it's just nuts stuff. It's uh, nuts stuff. It yeah, is. People, easy for people to digest. Yeah, right. absolutely. I think we've hit our hockey, hockey uh, threshold for, <laughs> for 2022 here, Scott. Anything else NBA-wise? I know that's your, uh, that's your strong point here. I know we're getting into the Christmas season here. It's sort of time for the NBA. Should we be watching basketball right now? Is that a fair question? Uh, it, you should be as it starts ramping up. You know, We're past the December 15th date, so now... You know, the, all the players that signed as a free agent, uh, for the most part, can be traded. Yep. When that, that might happen, who knows? Um, as we get close to Christmas here, I mean, there are some fantastic stories happening. Uh, so I'm I'm interested to see how some of these games play out on Christmas itself, and then getting can we, into can December, we talk about January. those real quick? I mean, the, sure. The Sixers next game is fine. It's noon. That's the one. Most people never even watch because, you know, church, busy. Um, that's, that's actually a pretty fine matchup. Lakers-Mavs is a nightmare now, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, the Mavs, are, right now, the Mavs right. are dreadful to watch, dreadful. I know Lucas had some games. Maybe LeBron turns, out, turns on the Jets for his league and, and just has a weird game. Buck Celtics should be great, even though you're right, the Celtics are in a, a mess right now. Grizzlies Warriors, uh, no staff. Clay's a disaster. I guess yeah, Jaws worth to, watching. To watch, watch that Memphis team. That that's yeah, gonna be Jaws fun worth to watch. watching. Yeah. yeah, and then Suns Nuggets. Look, Jokic just had one of the best nights in the history of basketball. <laughs> I was like forty-seven and twenty-seven or something like that. It, it, just nuts. He had a triple double yeah. with yeah. twenty-seven rebounds, and mm-hmm. it's just insane. But he's not watchable. I mean, you, you put him on the TV. I, I enjoy it because I'm a five-tool guy, and he's a five-tool NBA player if that exists. But, you know, he's not driving ratings. He never has, even though he's a back-to-back MVP champion. So it's weird. And, oh, by the way, the NFL schedule games on Christmas because it's a Sunday. So what in the world is going to happen with these NBA games? You know, is it, are we just going to have to wait until Steph gets back and January gets here and we can start talking about tra- the trade deadline a little bit f- more feverishly. Is that where this NBA season is going to go? Yeah, it's just slugging through all the games until, you know, in, in every team, I put in all the injuries. Every team is, for the most part, having massive injuries right. up and down uh, outside of like the Sacramento Kings that have had almost no is that I put in. So um, they're due, don't worry. But from a. <laughs> Yeah, but from a from a, you know, superstar standpoint, almost everyone's getting hit with either illness or, you know, the 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 plague of injury. But, you know, the. You're probably right with things aren't going to really ramp up until January, maybe even after the NFL season in totality. Let's be honest. Yeah, you're right. Um, And. and, let me ask you this, because the ESPN, uh, Tim Bontemps, he does a, a NBA straw poll mm. every every did the quarter, and then he I think he usually does half and then three quarters, and it's usually pretty pretty good indicator. Um, 
if if you had to guess who and he runs it just as if the MVP voting was happening. Uh, so I'll flip this on you because I don't think you've seen it or heard it. Who do you think is the leading MVP candidate right now? Jason Tatum. Yeah, hands down, Tatum. Yeah. And I've then, watched him quite a bit, and I have his rookie card, so I. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you were you were close on uh, selling that in the postseason I last was. year, and then you held on to it. So. I was. Uh, I, I mean, look, Joker's going to get back in this conversation. It's yeah, just yeah. Happen. So, so Tatum's per the straw poll. Tatum was first. Giannis is second. Luca third. Steph was fourth because this happened just before his injury. And then Joker is it is number five. Can I tell you so, who's going to get in this conversation as well? Who's that? Uh, Mr. Kevin Durant, who I yeah, have watched he, now three times over the past week. And that team basically I said this just, last week. Yep. Yeah, that team, that's not a good team. It's not. Nope. They are a patchwork team with a couple of really nice players, obviously. He has just decided to turn off the bullshit. Mm-hmm. and play basketball, and it has been absolutely thrilling to watch. And if he can keep this up, and I'm knocking on wood because he's another injury guy right now. Yep. But if he keeps this up, he is going to be the story. There's no question. Because of where we started with the trade demand, with the Simmons stuff, with the getting the coach fired, if he gets to the finish line, or even close to the finish line, playing like this, he's the MVP. There's no question in my mind. Yeah, and he's he's seventh on this straw poll list right now behind... Ja, who's in sixth. So uh, you're right. It, that team, they're, they're, it's an ugly team, but um, you know they, they've been slowly chipping away from being below 500 and not good at all to you know fourth. I, I believe they're fourth as of this morning um, in the standings. Yeah, they're fourth right now. Three games out of first place, two out of uh, being in third place. So, you know, that if they continue to mm-hmm. slowly chip away and Durant can be the Durant that he can be when, like you said, the BS is not there. You're right. That that's a dark horse for an MVP for sure. Have a good holiday, man. We'll talk soon. All right. Thanks. Have a good one. My thanks to Scott. Always good to have a backboard to bounce some ideas off of. It was a action packed multi-sport episode of the spot Trap podcast today. Visit SpotTrack.com. There's a brand new Major League Baseball piece there. A couple of pieces from Keith Allen on the trade itself in the NBA and the mechanics of it. And a couple of candidates for the upcoming trade deadline, which is about six weeks away now. He'll be ramping that up to some serious team-by-team buy-sell mode candidacies and maybe some 2023 outlooks, financially speaking, as well, as the season flips over the halfway point soon. As I mentioned, NFL top free agent piece coming, the quarterback tiers update, contractually speaking, and plenty more coming soon on SpotTrack.com. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the SpotTrack Podcast. 